Men's room. I am not a sexist. Not only are you a sexist, but you are the sexiest sexist it has ever been my good fortune to satirize. Satirize? Satirize, scrutinize, fantasize, etc., etc., etc. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture of the last longer? Uh-huh. And the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Someone by night. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal Spearsy. And Chuck in New Jersey. And today we look at one of the most timeless TV shows of the 80s and talk to its creator, Glenn Gordon Karen. It's our look at Moonlighting. Hi, I'm Madeline Hayes, and this is David Addison. Right. And we'd just like to take a minute or two before the show starts to welcome you back to another season of Moonlighting. That's right. That's wrong. Wait a I don't second. know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing here. You're here because we're welcoming people back to another season. Huh. You're here because the network wants us to welcome the viewers Double, back. Huh? You're here because Lou told you we to do it. We can say it. We can say it. The network says tonight's show is too short. The network says every show has to be one hour long, not 59 minutes, not 61 minutes, well, 60 minutes long, and we're a minute short. Great, now the whole world knows. Mr. Thermopolis, and do you know Mr. why Ehrlich, we're a minute Barry, short? Karen, get my because agent on the phone, fast. please. Not you because I'm talking with this, because you're talking when I'm talking. That's it, I've had That's it. it. If, if the, the producers, producers want to welcome the viewers back, back they can do it themselves. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join us in 2025 aboard the Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, departing Miami for a seven-day cruise to Nassau, San Juan, and Labadee. The musical lineup includes... And... And... And unbelievably... Wow. Really? I'm just excited for... That's totally a bucket list for me. No kidding. I'm totally getting for the podcast and trivia. Oh, I just, I can't wait. I, I, I'm going to be so excited. So we should have a promo code for you soon. So just keep your eyes and ears open and sign up for more info at www.the80scruise.com. Says they can't wait to see you on board. Tonight. Get your hand off my behind. What's got more Emmy nominations than any show this year? Including Best Actor, Best Actress, and Outstanding Dramatic Series? A clue, a clue, a clue. Gesundheit. It's Moonlighting tonight. Hey, for those new to planet Earth, Moonlighting was, it was appointment television in the 80s. It was a comedy drama, a dramedy, if you will, starring Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis. Sybil plays Maddie Hayes, a former model who finds out that her accountant has stolen all of her cash, leaving her with only a couple of failing businesses. One of those is a detective agency headed by David Addison, played by some newcomer named Bruce Willis. I'm sure nothing became of him. And to make a long story short, Maddie and David team up and run the agencies as a partnership, giving us five amazing seasons of comedy, mystery, and romance. You know, you say five, and, and for some reason I feel like that show went a lot longer than just five seasons. But yeah, looking back, it, it didn't really run... Uh, that long i think it was because they had so many reruns yeah it, it was it was weird too because they didn't have an episode every week right 
because it took, as you'll soon find out, longer than seven days to create an episode of Moonlighting, which made it difficult for the network to guarantee a new episode every week. So there would be these amusing promos that would show up, you know, hey, you know, Moonlighting, not here today because, you know, and they'd come up with some kooky reason or they'd stage this little skit, basically all the whole purpose of which is to announce there is no Moonlighting this week. So I, I think it's funny that the the whole plot I mean, the whole premise of the show is that the Blue Moon Detective Agency uh, was purposely run as a, you know, run in the red as a tax write-off. And yeah. then that's the business that Maddie decided to actually, you know, she was forced to move forward with Bruce. You know, Bruce Willis was just wasting money, you know, left and right because she needed that as a tax write-off. And But then yeah, that's the one that the whole show follows. Yeah. But, I mean, that basic premise alone doesn't work, but um, what you'll find out in this week's podcast, we have we have some real experts on the show. And by experts, I mean the creator of the show, Glenn Gordon Karen, who created Moonlighting. He was tasked with the idea by the network to go out and create a, a boy girl detective show, and he said, "I absolutely have zero interest in that." <laughs> and you know, the only reason he agreed to do it is if he could do it his way. And his way involved a lot more smart script writing than people were used to at the time. So, and it involves the introduction of Bruce Willis, who at that point really had done nothing in his career and came pretty yeah. close to doing nothing for Moonlighting. It took, I think he'll say it took 11 auditions for Bruce to finally get the green light. The stories that that Glenn Karen tells are hysterical about that whole thing. And, you know, they're, they're gonna, everyone's going to hear that, but that that really stuck out to think that somebody like Bruce Willis would have to go through that process. But like you said, he was he was general. He was he was basically a nobody at that point. Aside from Bruce and Sybil, you have actors Curtis Armstrong and Alice Beasley, who are regulars in the series, um, which is, by the way, frequently named one of the best TV shows of all time. And it's been unavailable to stream until just recently when it returned to Hulu in the fall of 2023. That That's what's caused for celebration, you know, at the Spears house. I, I can't believe that it's taken that long for it to be on any streaming platform. Well, it's an expensive show to, I guess, to own, secure the rights to, or Glenn will explain it, but it basically comes down to, they had 67 episodes total, but they used over 300 songs. <laughs> so there that's where a lot of the 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 fee comes in that's that's yeah. like the old they used to show old episodes of uh, saturday night live but then they weren't able to do that because they couldn't secure all the rights to the music because they had so many musical guests on the show back in the 80s you know you and i are about the same age were you were yeah. you watching it when it first came on tv oh yes yeah Absolutely. It was, and it, what I remember, if you asked me before I had to go back and, and do the research for this, if you said, what do you remember about the show? I think it was those little promos they would do every week that there's not going to be a new episode coming up <laughs> next week and being so disappointed because it was like, oh, we want a new episode. But then when you would get a new one, it was like, woohoo, we got a new episode. Finally. When you watch the versions on Hulu, they still include some of the, at the beginning of some of the episodes, there might be um, Bruce and Sybil there talking for three minutes because that week's episode came in short. So they put them on there and just tell them to, you know, BS for three minutes before we start the show so we can make it to the 
mandatory length needed to accommodate, you know, the amount of commercials at the time. Totally breaking the fourth wall. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that Hulu kept those in there because that's that's part of the charm of the show. Hello, I'm Madeline Hayes. And I'm David Addison. And we'd like to take a moment and just welcome back. Excuse me. Hello? David, it's your mother. Mom! Hi, Mom! Oh, gosh, it's so great to hear your voice. Huh? No, babe, it's just hard to hear you with that iron lung working. You'll hear me mention this a couple times. There are a lot of shows, I think, that have borrowed the formula of moonlighting over the years to, to their benefit, one of which is the show called Castle. I don't know if you were a fan of Castle or not. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I watched all of those. Castle seems to me to be the closest blueprint to uh, moonlighting. There's even an episode in Castle exactly like the dream sequence always rings twice. So it it, it always fascinates me of the... This podcast includes the interview with Glenn Gordon Karen, but it also includes an interview with two ladies who host their own podcast called Moonlighting the Podcast. And I'd ask them as well, hey, were you were you a big fan of Castle because it's so similar to Moonlighting? And they're like, nope, never watched it. <laughs> Just like, okay. And then I asked Glenn about, hey, did, did you watch Castle? What did you think? Is it, it seems like it's borrowing from your formula. He's like, nope, didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, man. No, really, the, the back and forth, the, the witty banner, back and forth between the two main characters, uh, you know, the supporting cast. There's a lot. Like I can see it now that you said that, how, how it drew from that. Nathan Fillion is basically the Bruce Willis. Of, oh, yeah. If you, if you haven't checked out Castle, it too, I think, is available on Hulu. By the way, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I used to work, uh, and I'm not name dropping, but I used to work with somebody who's first cousins with Linda Fiorentino from uh vision quest right and she oh, was sure. in uh, a bunch of yeah a bunch of 80s stuff so we were talking one day and she was talking about her cousin she's like oh one time they had a family this was back in the early 80s they had a uh a family wedding and linda you know comes to the family wedding and she brings her roommate with her and it's this guy that she's rooming with up in new york and the guy during the they had a band for the wedding and the guy gets up there and he grabs the microphone he runs around and he's just hamming it up and singing songs of the band and it, it was bruce willis <laughs> <laughs> before he before you know even before uh he became famous on moonlighting uh you, she said that you could tell at that point that he was he just had that what do i what do i want to say the joie de vivre you know that charisma that, that, charisma, that something that you could tell and and they were just you know doing the best they could do to try to um make it in new york you know so they're living in this small apartment and you know you you think about the humble beginnings that some of these people that were just huge mega stars and i just thought that that was a pretty funny story well let's get to the meat of the show um glenn gordon karen's going to join us here momentarily he will talk about his ongoing relationship with bruce willis He'll talk about some of the other projects he's directed, including Love Affair with Warren Beatty and Annette Benning. And uh, right back after the interview, we'll be back to talk to our other Moonlighting podcast experts. But first, enjoy this conversation with Glenn Karen. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's nice to be here. I got to start off by saying I'm so excited because Moonlighting is finally on streaming. 
what is it like looking back at your creation several years later, several decades later? Well, it, it's been it's been quite a journey. I started sort of campaigning to make it happen about five years ago. Um, Moonlighting fell into a sort of weird abyss because it wasn't made by a legacy studio. Uh, it's owned by Disney now, but at the time it was made by ABC. And that was a moment when the government said, hey, you can't broadcast shows and make shows. You can't do both those things. So um, ABC was compelled to hold on to it. They couldn't syndicate it for a long time uh, and then decided not to syndicate it because of uh, a bunch of things. Um, and then the outrageous amount of music that I chose to use uh, back in the 80s uh, sort of reared its ugly head and made it very, very difficult for them to wrap their head around the idea of streaming it. We used, we only did 66 episodes and we used 300 songs. Um, so, uh, you know, quite a Herculean task to go out and uh, A, see if it was even possible to license a lot of those things again, and B, to do it for a number that made sense to Disney. But ultimately, ultimately, they, they saw the wisdom in it. And not only that, they did a beautiful job of um, restoring the program visually. Um, there was a lot to do. Um, and it feels there's a great sense of accomplishment to that. My sadness is when this first became really important, I mean, I had all kinds of crazy ideas. I, at one point, I thought, Maybe we should just license it to the Criterion Collection. Maybe we should, uh, you know, when it became apparent that initially Disney was not at all interested in streaming it, they didn't see it as part of the Disney Plus uh, experience. And Hulu was not something they were paying a lot of attention to. But once they merged with Fox and Hulu became more important and all those, a lot of that changed. But, but my sadness is that when I started this conversation, Bruce and I would talk about it a lot. And, you know, Bruce, Bruce has had his medical challenges uh, of late. And now it just makes me sad because he was really excited about people seeing, hey, I did this first. You know, most people, I think, think of Bruce as a guy with a gun who comes into a dangerous situation. Um, and certainly that's part of his kit that's part of what he can do but he's also an extraordinary first of all he's an extraordinary actor um but the idea that he was a romantic lead the, the idea that he was this had this extraordinary verbal dexterity um you know and was also capable of being a stylist in the sense that you know what we did was in many ways an exercise in style um i think it, I know somewhere in there it brings him great pleasure to know that it's out there, that his kids are seeing it, that other people are seeing it, um, and that it's entered, re-entered the conversation, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I wish, I wish we'd gotten there a little sooner. <laughs> if you, that makes any sense. No, it makes complete sense. Uh, how how, how uh, closely are you in touch with them these days? I tell people I try and see them once a month. The truth is I'm not, I'm not that good. Sometimes the month turns into two months. Um, and seeing him is tricky because, uh, and I don't like to speak about this, but, but I'm not sure past the first minute or two that he even knows that I'm there. Um, uh, he's, he's, you know, he, he's not t communicative in the way that, I mean, you, when you think of Bruce Willis, you think of this guy with this enormous sense of joie de vie. Uh, you know, a man who loves life and um, 
Um, the you know the Bruce that I go to see, uh, you know, is very different than that at the moment. Um, he's he's not terribly verbal, um, and like I say, I'm not sure he completely comprehends who I am. Uh, but uh, but he's certainly happy, and he's certainly surrounded by family. He has a wonderful family. His his wife Emma is one of these just amazing people that you you sort of stand back and look at and go, you know, I should ever be so lucky to have somebody like that uh, associated in, you know, in my life, should I have the kind of challenges that Bruce is confronted? Um, um, but anyway, long answer to a short question, but I get paid by the word. So, <laughs> so do I. Uh, <laughs> you get paid a bit more uh, but, per word than I do. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Uh, anyway, um, no, it's it's great to have it out there, and I can't tell you all the people that have reached out um, to say, "Hey, this was this was this was, you know, pretty good." You know, I remembered it being pretty good. It's it's pretty good, um, and I, we've, we've had a lot of wonderful press, and um, and I'm you know indebted to Disney for. I mean, they they dug way down. They spent a lot of money. Uh, bring it back to uh, bring it back to life. I'm very grateful for that. I, I want to go back to the to the beginning of the show. I mean, the network comes in and they or or the studio whomever. I, I I'll never understand the way Hollywood works. But you were you were tasked <laughs> with the idea of creating a boy girl detective show, and you had said under no circumstances do I want to do anything like that. And what we get instead is this amazing show where with the snappy writing and great chemistry and lovable characters um and we get to meet bruce willis what what was your initial reaction if you recall to, to meeting him and the audition process and such well we um and people always are amazed when i spout off this statistic but we actually auditioned about three thousand men for the part um sybil came on board fairly early so now the question was we had to find somebody who made sense next to Sybil. And I was looking for somebody, people don't realize what an extraordinarily verbal part it was, that you had to be, technically, you had to be really, really on your game as an actor. Um, so we would look at an immense number of, I didn't see all 3,000, by the way. Uh, I probably saw about 300 of the 3,000. Um, but people would come in, and if they had the skill set, they didn't necessarily have, have the right essence, you couldn't put them next to Sybil Shepherd and expect anyone to to believe that, you know. Um, but when Bruce came in, so we, we, we had a session, and I remember Bruce came in and he was in town because he was auditioning for Desperately Seeking Susan. That's right. The role that Robert Joy ultimately played. Um, and he had not really done any on-camera work at that point. A lot of people think he did the Miami Vice episode he did before he did Moonlighting, only because it, it aired before Moonlighting. But in truth, he did it after he did the pilot, but before we started the series. Um, <clears throat> so he walked in the room. I didn't know who he was. And he had like a buzz cut. And he was wearing earrings. And he was wearing um, camouflage, army camouflage stuff, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And but the second he opened his mouth, I went, oh, my God, that's him. And uh, he finished and he left the room and I turned to the others and I went, wow. And they all thought I was talking about the guy before him. 
And I said, no, 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 him, he can do it. He's the guy. And I actually ran out of the room and ran down Pico Boulevard and caught him and said, can you come back again tomorrow? Could you, could you dress a little more conventionally and, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said, sure. And he came back the next day. And slowly I started to convince the people around me, Bob Butler, who was going to direct the pilot and Jay Daniel, who was producing the pilot with me. Um, and so, and then we had to take him to ABC and ABC absolutely without reservation hated him. He, he made no sense to them in their world. Um, and you have to, again, it's, it's very much about context. In the 80s, the joke was ABC stood for Aaron's Broadcast Company, and Aaron was Aaron Spelling. And Aaron Spelling made a, a kind of show, a style of show that was very unique. And he cast them in a very unique way. All the guys were extremely handsome, had chiseled jaws, and um, they wore suits or tuxedos. And I mean, it was just the... And one of the reasons that I, I wanted to write Moonlighting and do it the way I wanted to do it was no one on television, I was, you know, in my 20s, nobody on television looked like anyone I had known or ever met in my life. I mean, it just seemed like the most ridiculous thing. And the instant I met Bruce, I went, oh, I know him. I went to school with him or something, or, you know, he's just, he was like a guy from the neighborhood. And the idea of a guy from the neighborhood being partnered with Sybil Shepherd, who was, you know, one of the most beautiful people on the planet, that was really intoxicating to me. But ABC did not get it. And you also have to remember that ABC at this time was almost exclusively men. Again, it was the 80s. Anyway, long story short, I brought him back 11 times. Wow. If you can imagine. And I never brought anyone else. I mean, we, you know, when I wrote it before I had found Bruce, we talked about people. And in fact, ABC, just before I brought Bruce in, was talking about, let's not make this. We're going to pay everybody off because we think it's uncastable. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, um, Bill Murray has a movie career, um, <laughs> you know, because I think in their minds, that's sort of what I had written. Um, and anyway, so finally, after the 11th audition, um, one of the few women who did work at ABC, and she was a, a director of drama, something i don't know boy if i were a good person i could remember her name but at the moment i can't um she stood up and daniel that was her name she stood up we were having this i was having this argument that i had with them every time i brought bruce in they said you know no one will believe him next to civil shepherd he's not a leading man he's you know all this kind of stuff and i was like guys i don't know i i come here with him and every time i do i walk down the hall and the secretaries all go berserk i mean Trust me, he's, you know, no, 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 no. And finally, Ann Daniel stood up and said, I, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's a television star. I don't know if he's a leading man, but he sure looks like a dangerous, and she actually used the F word, F to me. <laughs> and back in the 80s, for that to happen in a, 
you know, group setting where she was the only woman really kind of sucked all the air out of the room. And finally, the two gentlemen who were running ABC at the time turned to me and said, okay, 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 you can use him. But whatever you do, don't let them get romantically involved. No one will ever believe it. And so I lied and said I wouldn't, which seemed like such an odd thing to me. To, because did you read the pilot? <laughs> it's a whole and we, we were shooting the pilot. It's the whole point of the pilot. But we did it. And um, obviously, you know, uh, we, we fundamentally we prevailed. I mean, you know, people seem to really like it. Um, and uh, I say fundamentally only because even after we aired the first six episodes, they were going to cancel us because we were not doing numerically what they had hoped. But then they started to hear from the advertising community. It was the advertising community that saved the show. They said, we want to be on that show. We want to buy on that show. You know, the public will catch up with the show. It's a special show. Um, so uh, again, long answer to a short question. I apologize. Uh, but that that's what, what it was like. And we were all, by the way, I mean, it was interesting because Sybil had been a movie star. So she understood things that Bruce and I were years away from understanding. Bruce and I, our attitude, and I, we shared it, was, I can't believe they're letting us do this. I wonder when somebody's going to come up, tap us on the shoulder and say, we're on to you, get out of town. Um, but we were really game. We were sort of game to do anything. So Bruce would literally come in every week and go, what do you want to do this week, boss? And I'd say, um, you want to do a boxing show? Let's do a boxing thing. Say, what do you mean a boxing show? And I'd say, well, you know, like when the Three Stooges would do a boxing thing. We had these references, you know, the, the Three Stooges, very, very, you know, highfalutin. The Three Stooges, the Bowery Boys. Um, although I must say, Bruce, um, like me, was a cinephile loved movies and I was sort of a Capra nut. He turned me on to, he would turn me on to filmmakers. I would turn him on to filmmakers. Um, and we, like I say, we were really like, just so, it's like kids being turned loose in a toy store. Um, because my feeling is let's do whatever we want, whatever tickles us. If it tickles us, maybe it'll tickle somebody else. Um, and we were very lucky because we chose a moment when that, for whatever reason, was possible. ABC had enough other distractions and frankly cared about us so little that for a while there we were able to do exactly what we wanted so that by the time they woke up and went, oh, um, no one could say you can't do that. I mean, a couple of times they tried, but, but the, you know, the horse was out of the barn. You talk about, you know, Bruce coming in each week and saying, you know, what do you want to do, boss? And then I think of some of my favorite episodes, and they were always the, the different episodes. So in my mind, you know, Big Man on Mulberry Street, the the dream sequence always rings twice, Atomic Shakespeare. I mean, any fan of, of Moonlighting, probably those are in their top five list. of. of I, I would think so. They're certainly in mine. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say, like, is there is there one or two that, that to you is just like, this is this is the best I could I could do for this show like this this is exactly what yeah, i needed it to be you've named them there are a couple of others that maybe don't have quite as much bravura but that i'm very there's one called um every daughter's father is a virgin um that's about sybil and um robert weber played her dad and she discovers her father's having an affair and 
sort of um, there there were there are some others that have things about them that I adore. There were all the things I wanted to do that we didn't get a chance to do. I always wanted. I've said this before. I always wanted Bruce to light a match on the edge of the screen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as if as if the edge of the screen were were a flint, you know, and light a cigarette. Never got to do that. Uh, always wanted to do a 3D episode. Ended up doing it when I did Medium. Um, curiously and interestingly, I met Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, at a sure. party years later at Patricia Arquette's house, and he told me almost breathlessly that he had purchased the test film that we did for that 3D episode, that it, it was one of his prized possessions. He, he, collect, he, was, he was a collector of all sorts of things. Um, and we actually did a test with Bruce and Sybil to see, could you actually do 3D over broadcast television? Um, I'll tell you one people don't know about. I secured the rights to an AIP movie called might have been called Mothra versus Godzilla or one of those sorts of movies. Right. And I was going to mat, which was the technique we used before digital to put people into scenes they were not actually in, but I was going to mat Bruce and Sybil into it and make an episode out of it. And I had lunch with this young director. He was a year or two older than me, but we were all young, uh, named James Cameron. I don't know what happened to him. Um, and uh, he was going to direct it. And uh, but but then at, there was a point at which I was I was going to say asked or told to leave the show, uh, so I didn't get around to doing that. But but we had a bunch of things we wanted to do that we were really excited about. Um, wow, and, that would have been something else. Yeah, wouldn't it have been fun? Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, we it was a it was a great group of people. I mean, you know, we had our, obviously had our conflicts. Some of them were very well documented. Um, but certainly Bruce, somebody I feel extraordinarily close to. Sybil, Sybil and I had a much rockier relationship, but, but I look at, you asked me how I feel about it being out again. I, I looked at some of these episodes and I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I was struck by how amazing she was. She is really, really, really amazing on the show. Um, you know, likewise, uh, 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 oh, Elise Beasley and Curtis Armstrong and a, a wonderful group of directors, Peter Warner, Alan Arkish, um, uh, just, you know, and... and just, it's just a great group of people, a great, great group of people. Um, and a lot of it was we didn't know what we were doing. And it freed us to do what we wanted to do, or I didn't know what I was doing. I, I think a lot of the other people knew what they were doing. But but I was the, <laughs> I was the witless leader. And I'd say, no, 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 I, here's what I want to do. I don't, want to, I don't want it to look like a television show. I want it to look like a movie. I want it to be special. I want it to command the audience's attention. I don't want anybody folding laundry while this is going on. I want them to be afraid to look away, that they're going to miss something. Um, it was, it was, it was very heady. I suspect I was fairly arrogant. Um, but, uh, you kind of have to be in that situation in order to make it work. Um, anyway. 
I love I'm the, sorry. I love the, I love the the cheekiness uh, that the show had or with the audience. You know, if 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 it were a, a episode that ran three minutes short, so there'd have to be some extra goofy dialogue. Or if there was some sort of, you know, we're back this week after having been gone for two weeks because it takes more than seven days to produce one of these episodes. I love the, the fact that that breaking the fourth wall, which Bruce would have done really well with the uh, matchstick on the on the screen. Uh, to me, that's always a sign of, of people having fun and enjoying the medium. Yeah, and it was a practical answer to a real problem that we had, which yeah. was it, 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 it did take us a long time to make an episode, and I would edit with the help of great editors, but I, I would edit the episodes to the, the size at which I believe they played best. I didn't care about the network's problem my feeling was let me make it as good as i can make it and then i'll solve that problem and the way i often solve that problem was by putting something on the front of the show that we could shoot really quickly like them in front of their desks commenting on the situation we were in um i used to actually shoot a lot of the the promo trailers i was such a control freak um and when i realized that ABC had a problem because they never knew if we were going to have a new episode or not. I would shoot trailers that highlighted that. Um, a, because I thought it was funny, and B, again, I thought it was attention-getting. We remember doing one, um, can't remember the actor's name, he's a wonderful actor. This guy's dressed up in a, uh, you know, a, a work outfit. He's standing on a loading dock. He's got an ABC logo on his chest, and like, you know, Bill over here he obviously works on the loading dock. And the, the little Chiron thing says, 2.45 a.m. And the guy's standing there. And uh, you hear a voice from, it's my voice actually, from off stage going, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and he says, uh, oh, uh, what, waiting. Waiting for what? He says, oh, it's, you know, new moonlighting, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole promo. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because we needed to communicate to the audience, we're trying, we're trying, and you know we do, we want to amuse you, but if it isn't completely cooked, we can't serve it to you. Now that isn't to say every episode was perfect because they weren't. There were a couple that I'm still bothered by because I, I just feel like it eluded us in one way or another. But but for the most part, we really did try and 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 make it a special experience. Um, and you know, I had a bunch of great writers that I, I worked with. Um, you know, you mentioned the Shakespeare episode, which was written by um, Ron and Jeff. I see, I should come to these things with everybody's name written out. Um, uh, Ron Osborne and Jeff Reno. Um, because that was one of the few scripts that I really didn't do much work on at all. I think I changed a couple of things at the end, but it was a, just a great script coming out of the box, not to mention an extraordinarily ambitious script. You know, let's do this period piece Let's do it in iambic pentameter, um, and let's let's revisit this sort of classic and you know poke some holes in it. Um, I mean, even in the 1980s, you could look at it and go, "This is an extraordinarily chauvinistic uh, <laughs> piece of work." Um, and of course, a lot of people look at our show and think it's an extraordinarily chauvinistic piece of work. I, I actually think if you look at it again you'll see that the smartest person in the room is almost invariably a woman. 
Um, that isn't to say that she's the most entertaining person in the room. That tended to be Bruce, but that's because Bruce was willing to play the fool a lot. Um, but I also thought it was also a very sort of pro, pro love sort of thing. You know, you, here you have these two wildly different people who so clearly belong together. Um, and that to me was, I don't know. I, I was, I was happy to be, to be delivering that message that, that made great sense to me. The model of the show seems like it's been adapted by, you know, shows that followed. And the one that always comes to my mind is Castle. Castle seems like almost a carbon copy in some ways of Moonlighting. Um, what, what do you make of the the imitators that followed Moonlighting? Well, I, I, I don't know if they're imitators. Um, I don't think, I mean, there's a lot about Moonlighting that I was given credit for that, frankly, I, I mean, you know, wow, you're breaking the fourth wall. And I remember turning to Bruce and going, what are they talking about? Um, Burns and Allen would break the fourth wall. Abbott and Costello broke the fourth wall. My favorites were Hope and Crosby. I mean, in the middle of these Paramount movies, you know, they would, they would stop, turn to the audience and talk about, oh, the boys in the home office aren't going to like that at all. You know, and they, you know. So I, I'm uncomfortable calling anybody an imitator. I think we... There's this sort of zeitgeist that we all live in and, um, you know, different, different parts of it intrigue us at different times. Frankly, never have seen Castle. So I can't, well, here's what happens. I mean, or at least if you're, if you're a shallow person like me, um, uh, someone says to you, Hey, there's a show and it's a lot like your show. And the first thing I think is, I'm not watching that. Good point. Well, you know, it, it, it's just painful on some level um, if it's true. And then it's even more painful if it isn't because you sit there and go, why, well, why don't they do something more clever than that? Don't they understand there's an audience out there and people are, I mean, I'm a big snob. Um, I'm not proud of it. I'm just sort of stuck with it. But I, I, I bow to people who make uh, entertainment that's unique and that, gives me credit as an audience member for being, you know, reasonably intelligent. Um, so, and for a long time, network television, you know, coasted. The, the shows were not terribly ambitious or terribly good. They, they understood that there were really only two other shows competing against them. And, you know, uh, I, 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 was, I was doing television because it was the only thing they'd let me do. I wanted to make movies, you know. Um, so, like I say, I'm, I was a big snob and um, maybe an a-hole in that respect. Um, <laughs> I think I give yourself but, more credit than that. You, you, you touched on you wanted to do movies. So I have to ask you about Love Affair. Oh, I, okay. I loved that movie. I, I, I have it on DVD. I had it on, on VHS. Um, I gave it to my wife. You're the guy. You're the guy. Uh, <laughs> what, what attracted you to that project? I, I, there's so many things. I, I mean, I could I could talk for an hour about Love Affair, but uh, but what, well, I'm curious what what, attra- what specifically. Well, attracted there were a couple you. of things. There were a couple of things. Um, when Warren Beatty comes to you and says, "I'd really like to do a movie with you," that you know that'll wake you up. Sure. Um, 
I had been working for a while. This is going to sound so obnoxious. I'd been working for a while with Madonna. We were preparing to do Evita, and then Evita fell apart, and she introduced me to Warren. Warren was very familiar with me through Moonlighting, and then saw Clean and Sober, uh, which I'm very proud of, and came to me and said, "I want to do a remake of." Love Affair, which is a movie that had been made twice already. Right. Um, it had been done as an affair to remember with Cary Grant, and prior to that, in an original version, I want to say with Charles Boyer, maybe. That was and the Irene Dunn. version. Yeah, both by the man who wrote it. Who's and I, you know, I I wasn't wild about remaking somebody else's thing, but I was. You know, very excited that somebody like Warren would want to work with me.、Um, and I had just finished making a movie that had been、uh, very poorly received, to be perfectly honest with you.、Uh, this movie called Wilder Napalm、um, that Vince Gilligan wrote is the first movie of Vince Gilligan's that had ever been produced.、Um, and、um, I think I said this to you before we went. Before we began the podcast, I thought I was making a terrific movie, and we showed it to the studio. The studio was so excited, and then we started showing it to people, <laughs> and people were like, "What is this?"、Uh, they were baffled by it.、Um, so my agent, Mikeovic, said, "You need to make a movie that isn't about you. You need to make a movie with a movie star." And he. Very excited about the idea of me working with Warren. I was excited about working with Warren. Who wouldn't be excited about working with Warren? Exactly.、Um, uh, but truthfully, it was an extraordinarily difficult experience. Largely because, first of all, Warren's one of the most intelligent people you'll ever meet.、Um, he's a man of, you know, pretty extraordinary accomplishment. So when you when you find yourself disagreeing with him, and you're You know, twenty years younger than he is, and haven't accomplished anywhere near what he had accomplished at that point. And,、um, and frankly, most of the people that were on that movie and in that movie were not there because of me; they were there because of him. So it was it was a very, 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 very difficult situation,、um, and I had a very tough time.、Um, uh, And he he took the movie. He took the movie after I, the movie was shot, and I was two thirds of the way through my cut of it. He took it away and recut it, and that was very painful for me.、Um, uh, and there are still things about it that I cannot. About every two years, I think I should watch this movie because people tell me they really like it, and I can't bear it. And I'll put it in, and I'll get to. Truthfully, you'll understand this because you like the movie. I get to the plane crash. As the plane is coming down, right, and I hear that.、Land. I hear that music, and it makes me nuts because that's not the way I would have scored it. It's not the way I would have. It's this kind of do 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 do. Yes, it made no sense. Yes, and it it makes me crazy because I'm very particular about music. Um, and you know,、um, I mean, I I had gone to dinner. Now I'm really going to name drop. I had gone to dinner with Billy Wilder once. He had asked to have dinner with me. I know it's a great story too, and I'll tell it to you some other time because it takes a while. But <laughs> but but 
he was talking to me about some like it hot. Well, he was talking to me about Sybil Shepherd. He wanted to know all about Sybil Shepherd because um, he had heard she was, you know, uh, difficult. Uh, and then so he started telling me all about Marilyn Monroe. But um, he started to talk about some like it hot. And he, if you remember some like it hot, it opens with, with the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Right. All these guys get gunned down. And he said, you know why I did that? And I said, why? He said, because by being so real and making the stakes so high, I now had permission to put men in dresses. He went, oh, I know why they're in a dress. They could lose their lives. I saw those guys getting gunned down, you know. And of course, he's right. When I see that plane coming down and I hear that, doo, 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 I go, well, there goes the movie. You're saying there are no stakes in this movie. That you don't really believe these people might die or get hurt or something horrible might happen to them. You know, well, hell, they got another hour and a half. Uh, so I just have a tough time. Having said that, uh, I loved working with Annette. She's an extraordinary person. Um, I was one of the last people, I was the last person to work with Catherine Hepburn and that obviously um, was pretty great. Um, I just, I know I shot a better movie than the one we put out. I believe I shot a better movie than the one we put out. Maybe it's not true. Um, Warren and I didn't speak for a very long time. And then he called me out of the blue, which, which was very nice of him and said, Hey, do you ever get out to California? Cause I was living on the East coast at the time. And I said, yes. And we had a nice lunch. Um, and talked about our kids and politics and kind of everything, but, and then I ran into him, I guess about two years ago, uh, and said, hello, uh, I've run into Annette once or twice. Um, but it's a movie for me that's both, uh, I had some extraordinary experiences on it and some painful experiences on it. So it's, it's sort of a mixed bag. And of course it wasn't the success that I think certainly that Warren believed it was going to be, Warren believed it was going to be the biggest movie he'd ever done. That's why he recut it. He thought, now nah, it'll work, you know, and it, it didn't uh, in that way that you need a movie to, at that, at that moment anyway, to attract a mass audience. Sure. Uh, but I'm glad you like it. You're not the only person to say that to me. In fact, the vast majority of people I meet say, oh, I love that movie. And there's certainly beautiful things in it. Getting to work with Conrad Hall, it was a highlight of my life. He was the cinematographer and he was a brilliant cinematographer who shot many, many, many amazing films. Um, Milena Cananero, who did the wardrobe on that film is amazing. Um, uh, the production designer, ah, I'm trying to remember his name, <laughs> who, who designed nothing less than the conformist for Bernardo Bertolucci. I mean, it was an extraordinary group of people. Sure. Um, but as I say, for me, it was humbling. You know, I had always sort of been the, or managed to convince myself that I was the biggest poobah in the room on everything I did. And I, you can't convince yourself you're a bigger poobah than, than Warren Beatty. You know, it's just not, <laughs> not in the cards. Let me ask you about one scene in particular. And, and I, sure. I don't know how anything. much of this is yours and how much of this is Warren's. Um, but it's the scene that always sticks with me in the movie. It's where uh, Catherine Hepburn and uh, Warren say goodbye uh, on the island. And we don't hear the dialogue between them. We see their expressions and their mannerisms. I, I love the way it's filmed where we don't hear what they say. 
Mm-hmm. Was there something originally um, scripted for that um, that you later decided it's better if we don't hear it? Or did they, if, if there wasn't anything scripted, do you, do you remember what they said to each other? My recollection is, and it's a long time ago, is that we always knew that was where we would reprise the theme. We had this beautiful theme, and I think that was always the intention, was to allow the theme there. Um, it was a while ago. You know, we filmed, we went to Tahiti, and we filmed a lot of the action on Tahiti on this little island of Morea. Um But Catherine was, you know, very infirm, and she couldn't go there. So we built, believe it or not, that whole house, um, and everything, and shot that in Burbank wow. uh, on the soundstage at Warner Brothers. Um, I, I don't remember. I mean, Warren was certainly very involved at that point because it was Hepburn. Um, and she was, as I say, very infirm. Um, some days would come and frankly, you know, we had cards for her everywhere. And, you know, she, she I think there was part of her that regretted saying yes, just because it was took a huge physical toll doing the work. Um, but um, yeah, it was very, very, very important to Warren that we had Catherine Hepburn. I actually, for a while, argued against it and said, yeah, I think you can, you'll be able to anticipate what the performance is going to be before she gives it because we've seen so much of her. One, which surprised Warren, he said, I haven't seen her in years. I said, she's on a TV movie every six months on television. You know, she's, you know, and I would, I do this bad imitation of her and say, she's going to walk across the room. And, you know, I, I said, as opposed to let's surprise the, you know, you're a huge movie star and that's a huge movie star. We have Gary Shandling. Let's surprise people. Let's, let's bring back someone they authentically haven't seen in 40 years, but he really wanted Hepburn. It was, he, he really wanted Hepburn and he personally went and got her. She didn't want to do it, but he convinced her. I think he felt a net, deserved Hepburn, you know, in the scenes that she had to do with it. The sad thing is when she got there, of course, she was very infirm. So you had her for a very limited amount of time. We did use cue cards. Um, by the time we would turn around, you would always shoot her first. And by the time we would turn around on um, that or Warren for that matter, she, there was a stand in there because you couldn't ask her to stay under the lights and in the, it just, um, uh, but I, it, it makes me happy to hear that you're moved by it. That's nice. Um, again, I'm just bound up in my own narcissistic pain. So it's, <laughs> it's, you know, hard for me to appreciate that, but, but it's, it's nice to hear. Narcissistic, narcissistic pain is what makes the, the whole creative process work. So I'm certainly hey, not going to so, argue against it. From your lips. Uh, <laughs> um, so what are you working on these days? I'm working on a, on a few things, uh, trying to figure out. I mean, I don't know what will be the next thing because I don't have uh, green light authority over myself. I mean, I need to go excite a, um, a studio and then excite a platform, you know, whether that's a streaming platform or a whatever, whatever. Um, so I have, I have a couple of books that I'm adapting. Um, I have an original thing that I'm working on, and I have no idea which one of them will actually be next, but it's sweet of you to ask. (laughs) 
Glenn, it's been such a pleasure to ch- talk with you today. Um, thank you so much for giving us moonlighting. Uh, thank you also for giving us love affair. And, uh, oh, you're very sweet. You're very, very sweet. Uh, thank you for thinking of having me. Have great fun on your cruise, which I keep hearing about. Um, you're doing one of those, right, in 2024? Yeah, 80s cruise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's in oh, uh, great- six weeks. <laughs> so. Listen, great success with that. Have fun. I have, and, uh, uh, I have questions on moonlighting for our guests for the trivia session, and they'll get it all right because they're all oil fans. Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. Right down to the um, theme music by Al Jarreau, So Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, thank you again. It's very flattering to be asked to do this, and uh, I look forward to maybe coming back at some point. There he is, Glenn Karen. What did you think of the interview? I love hearing the behind the scenes. And, you know, the creative thought process that that he brought to the show. But then you feel bad about what he was up against. You know, the fact that you have to make the executive producers and you have to make the network happy and they always have their input. And I feel I I wonder what would have happened to the show if they really completely gave him the creative license that that he craved. Yeah, but at the same time. I don't know that it could have survived much longer if Bruce Bruce was going headfirst into movies. Yeah, he had already done Die Hard by yeah. the time the show was, was was ending. So yeah, so there's that. Then Sybils has a growing family. I, you know, I I think it's five years is is a is a nice run. I'm glad that Glenn's apparently at peace with with how things turned out for the most part. Um, like, like any writer, we, we hold grudges till the end of time. That's just, that's part of our, uh, creative energy. See, and as, as fans, I'm always wondering what we missed out on. You know what I mean? Like I, I, it's the John Lennon thing. What, what other music of the eighties did we miss out on? Yeah. You know what I mean? So as a fan looking at it, I'm like, I would have liked it to have gone longer than just the five years sure uh, but it amazes me that 67 episodes stretched over five years yeah you know we just got done we did a deep dive watching uh re-watching the stargate oh you know, wow sg1 stargate atlantis uh they had 20 episodes every season wow. for like 10 for 10 years Jeez. and then they had five years of atlantis 20 episodes um, so it, it's like, wow. And then what a great show like this. And we get 67. Yeah. So that's what made me think, I'm thinking, what else did we miss out on? Yeah. What other shows did, did Glenn have in his mind that never actually made it to film? Anyway, check out Hulu, check out Moonlighting. I think you're really going to enjoy watching it again. Um, before I let you go, I teased to you that there are some hosts of a podcast and it's called Moonlighting the Podcast. And these two ladies, Grace Shivel and uh, Shauna Sari, uh, have been rewatching Moonlighting and recording podcasts on each episode. Usually more than one podcast per episode, actually. They've had guests on their show, including Glenn Karen. And they've also written a book called Moonlighting an Episode Guide. Uh, Glenn Karen wrote the foreword for that. So before I had talked to Glenn, I had had a nice chat with Grace and Shauna. The conversation talks about how they found each other their picks their picks for their best episodes the dream interviews they would love to have and what's the million dollar question that they would ask during those interviews 
So sit back and enjoy this short conversation with the hosts of Moonlighting the Podcast. Shauna and Grace, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's great. We're really happy to be here to talk to you about Moonlighting. Grace, obviously you're in Australia. What do you do there? Well, I'm actually a life coach. Okay, cool. Yes. And and Shauna, you're in Shanghai? I'm in Shanghai, China. I'm an um, an English teacher. I teach English here at an um, international school. Oh, cool. So I'm curious, how did you two meet? And then how did you come up with the idea to do a a podcast on moonlighting? Um, Okay. So what happened was probably, um, okay, when when did we start the podcast? September 2021 was our first episode. So around a year before that, um, I had a bee in my bonnet about moonlighting because I restarted, I started watching it again, you know, on my DVDs. And I just started thinking, you know what, because I've already got two podcasts under my belt anyway. And I thought, oh, I'd love to do a podcast on moonlighting. That would be great because there would be so much to talk about. Um, you know, the overlapping dialogue, the, the production, Sybil, uh, Sybil and Bruce, all that sort of thing. Um, so I kept thinking about it for about six months and then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna it just kept a little a little man in my head kept coming back to me and saying, You've got to do a podcast on moonlighting. So there's that, you know, I think there's that women's intuition there sometimes sometimes about something you really need to do. And especially if you have a passion for it. So I started um I joined some moonlighting groups and I didn't really, you know, talked too much on there, liked a few things and, you know, made a few little comments. But then one day I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to say, listen, guys, whoever's out there, I want to do a podcast on moonlighting and I'm looking for a co-host. Shauna, then, so you reached out to Grace or how did you re- how did you get in touch with Grace? Yeah. So this group that she posted and I had been in um, for about 10 years and I was actually trying to get um, a moonlighting podcast going as well, but with a num- another member of that group. So when I saw Grace's post, um, you know, I commented, yes, I would love to do the podcast. I've had the same thought. And we talked on the phone and um, really we kind of started the, the next week. So it came together very quickly once wow. we finally picked each other. Yeah. Do you, do you guys, were you fans from the beginning when it started broadcasting on, on the, on air? I mean, were, were you fans of the show then, or did you catch on to it through, you know, DVDs and, and VHS? Yes. Um, so I grew up in California and I was, I think, 13 when Moonlighting aired. So um, the very impressionable ages between 13 and 16, I was watching Maddie and David, (laughs) um, you know, every week and it just really got into my psyche. I was, I became obsessed with it when I was, you know, a teenager, you know, I would watch the show, go to high school the next morning, make my best friend, you know, say the lines with me. And I would just, yeah, it was moonlighting. You know, my walls were covered um, with moonlighting, Bruce Willis, everything um, having to do with, uh, you know, Bruce, Sybil and moonlighting. And yeah, I was just obsessed um, at that time. So I think it, you know, worked. It's like a wormhole worked, worked its way into my brain and kind of stayed there. Um, throughout my life, I've come back to it um, in different ways at different times, I would say. When I moved abroad about 10 years ago, I was living in Korea. Um, I was kind of binging different shows. Um, because I didn't have, you know, cable television. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, moonlighting. And I, you know, um, downloaded, I, don't know if you can, <laughs> I downloaded the episodes. So <laughs> I had them readily available. 
And when I started watching again, it was like I was 16 again. It just grabbed hold of me in that same way. And I kind of started becoming more part of the fandom in a way where it's like um, um, I started making videos, um, like fan videos on YouTube, writing fan fiction and, and things like that. And then it's led up to the podcast. So, yeah, it's been a part of my life since as long as I can remember. How excited were you both um, when it, Hulu announced that they were re-airing the whole series? Oh, my God. Well, I was very excited because we we had little um, – Actually, if you listen to Glenn, Glenn Gordon Karen's interview uh, with us that we did, I think it was last year, um, he sort of hints in a way without actually saying it. I think he had an inkling of what was going on. Um, and then he did a, a little announcement on Twitter and we were just so excited that Moonlighting was coming back. It was streaming and you know, in every every one of our episodes, we, we we just kept saying, "Come on, Disney! Come on, Disney! <laughs> pony up the money!" It's um, I've, I've been rewatching TV series from the eighties, uh, you know, obviously for a long time because I've been doing stuck in the eighties for eighteen years now. Mm. And the the one thing I thought when I started watching Moonlighting again was, this show holds up. I mean, there's a few things. There's some fashion notes, and specifically that date it, and 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 some of the behavior. But as far as the quality and the and the especially of the writing and the direction, and and just the entire conception, I, I don't think there's a show from the '80s that stands up as well as Moonlighting. Absolutely, wow. the first three years of Moonlighting, you just can't beat. It gets it gets name checked a lot as TV's first uh, dramedy, you know, coining that term. Do you think it gets the credit it's due for for basically reinventing that that genre? Yeah. So um, as far as Moonlighting, that's great to hear that you think that it holds up. Um, that was kind of always the question because we watch it so much that it sometimes, you know, I would be like, am I in a little bubble of Moonlighting where to me, it's just so familiar that it really, it always works for me. It always hits those notes and, you know, makes me laugh. And, um, you know, I really think it's such a unique show um, from the 80s. Um, I don't think it really gets the credit that it deserves um, at this point in time, and maybe it will um, going forward because it was off um, people's screens for so long. It was not accessible. So while it was, like you said, appointment television in the 80s, um, it fell off people's radars. You know, and then it wasn't even on lists in the 90s and early 2000s of 80s TV shows to watch or you know, people for, kind of forgot about Moonlighting because it wasn't accessible. So um, it really did bring back that, that genre of um, Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, you know, um, Hoxian comedy as as Sybil called Glenn's script um, when they first met and she read it, um, that fast-talking dialogue, that um, will-they-won't-they they chemistry, and, and, yeah, and then like a lot of slapstick too. And just, um, it's really unique. And I'm glad that people are seeing that now that it's back on Hulu and accessible. People are really taking to it, which is one question I always wondered, you know, will, will it hold up? And, you know, I'm glad to, to hear that you think it does. And I think, you know, new audiences will um, find that it does. And uh, hopefully it'll get more credit for um, bringing back that genre in the 80s. I'm curious uh, what your favorite episodes are. Grace, What are? give me like two episodes that someone who's never seen Moonlighting needs to watch to understand the chemistry of the show. Wow. You know what, Steve? That is so hard to cut it down to two. <laughs> give me three. <laughs> I'm, t I'm being honest with you. It's very hard to cut it down to two because... Since we've been recording the each episode in chronological order, 
we've realized that some episodes are at, that we never thought were that great, but now that we've reviewed them in detail, are absolutely fantastic. And one of them is Symphony and Knocked Flat. Now, when I always thought it was a great episode, but as soon as we reviewed it, wow, there was so much going on and we had so much to talk about. And that ended up being a three parter. Most episodes are two parters. Oh, all right, big man's four parts, but that's that's a different kettle of fish. <laughs> but Symphony and Knocked Flat, um, oh, Dream Sequence is just just a given. Um, but if you're looking at something like like in in Blue Moonland, because Dream Sequence, you know, is obviously a dream sequence. Um, it's got to be My Fair David. What what other one would you think, Shauna? I will. I mean, every, every Moonlighting fan out there is, is going to have their own views on what's the best episodes and what's the, the most, the must-see episodes. If no one's ever watched Moonlighting, yeah, like, you know, My Fair David is the quintessential Moonlighting episode. I'm going to just give one from each season that I think mm-hmm. viewers would love, which is um, season one is The Next Murder You Hear. I think that's a great episode from season one. Season two, um, I would say... Um, Every Daughter's Father is a Virgin is great. Yeah, there's two back-to-back there. Every Daughter's Father is a Virgin and um, Witness for the Execution. Those two, I think, are must-see. Season three, I mean, season three is the best of Moonlighting. Um, I do love All Creatures Great and Not So Great outside of the, you know, the trilogy leading up to, you know, the big moments of Moonlighting. Um, Season four, uh, Maddie Hayes Got Married. Season five, um, I see England, I see France, I see Maddie's Netherworld. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about season three, the the episode where they finally get together. Did, did you, I, I haven't seen it since, you know, the 80s. I haven't rewatched it yet. I'm still, you know, I'm still enjoying every episode and just trying to savor them and not try to rush through them. The yeah. When that happened, when that moment finally happens, did you did you see it coming? Were you surprised? Was there any sort of what were your thoughts at the time? Yes. Uh, did I see it coming? I think okay. So there are a series of episodes that lead up to them sleeping together. I think it was very teased about. I think we knew it was coming. I think the the big question was how was it going to happen? Um. So the episode itself, I think, um, if you just watch that episode alone. It's actually not that great of an episode. We're kind of waiting for that moment to happen. You really have to watch all of the episodes that lead up to that episode. They're kind of a package deal. Um, so, yeah, I think you have to really watch those. Um, and that starts with Blonde on Blonde. There are like four episodes in a row, starting with Blonde on Blonde, that lead up. Um, now, you know, do I like personally how all of that happened? Um, not really. I don't. And... <laughs> And I, am I happy they slept together? Of course, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> that moment in time was a very key moment in time because Sybil was n- newly pregnant. Okay, real life, um, you know, colluded with, um, you know, the show. So Sybil was newly pregnant with twins and Bruce broke his collarbone at that time. So they weren't really available to give their all to that scene. Uh, and a lot of it is done with body doubles and and kind of, I don't want to say pieced together, but a little bit, a little bit pieced together. And and probably not the scene it would have been if both of them were in like perfect health and maybe done a little bit earlier in the, in the series and, and things like that. So um, 
yeah, I, I knew it was coming. I was excited about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Happy they slept together. I actually like the episode after that to Eris Human. To me, that's the only episode of Moonlighting where we, we get what could have been. And that's them sleeping together, talking about the relationship and solving a mystery and working <laughs> on, on Blue Moon. It's great, you know, and it's what could have been. But then life, again, you know, colluded to go a different way. So, Grace, were you happy or sad to see them hook up? Um, believe it or not, I missed the episode until the rerun. Uh, when Moonlighting came out, I was about 22. I had a child. I was busy. I watched it when I could, but then I, I saw the rerun. And when I saw it, um, I wasn't expecting it, you know, like according to what actually happened with the rest of the episode. I didn't see it coming. I was very I was very glad when it did happen, finally. Um, now, many years later, you sort of look at it and think, damn, that's not them, you know, on the ground. And, you know, it's sort of. And you know we know a bit more about the background now that um, the the love scene was done standing up because he couldn't rest on his collarbone and she's pregnant. So, <laughs> yes. but how yeah. it turned out was pretty good considering you know. Well, let's talk for a minute about why the show did end after five seasons. Now, I've I trust that you two probably are two of the best sources on on which of those theories are are true or whether it's a combination of theories. I, I've read that I mean, obviously Bruce's film career was taking off. Uh, Sybil had her twins. Um, they weren't shooting scenes as often together. And that sort of caused the chemistry to fall off. It was also an expensive show, uh, twice as expensive as other shows at the time. Um, which of those is closest to the truth or do you have your own theory as to what finally did it in? There's there's so many aspects to why moonlight moonlighting went in a different direction. Um, it's not just one reason, I don't think. Um, Shauna might be able to explain it better, but um, him being offered movie roles, her getting pregnant, um, then they finally sleep together. Okay, so the writers, what do we do now with this? She's gone for a lot of season four. We have to do a lot of scenes in advance, a lot of her recording on the phone in advance. So I think they they stuck to a certain storyline but had to stick with it because of things that had already been done. You know, I think when we now that we're really scrutinizing Moonlighting, it really comes down to the writing. And Glenn Karen left um, after the fourth season. Um, so... After that, the, the characters, you just don't recognize them anymore. And it really speaks to how important writing is because um, on the DVD commentaries, Sybil and Bruce both say independently, they were floundering at a certain point and not really sure what the character was anymore and what was happening with the character. So after Glenn Karen left, who was the heart and soul of the show, he was the creator, he was the main writer, um, it really fell apart. And then Yes, he wasn't there to kind of stand up to the network and the network wanted it to you know, be less expensive and go back to the way it was before they slept together. And, you know, they con concentrated more on the mysteries and the cases and not so much on the relationship. And the viewers didn't know it, even if Maddie and David were together anymore. It wasn't really even discussed. And um, yeah, I mean, behind the scenes, um, of course, Bruce wanted to go off and do movies and Sybil was just exhausted. And when, you know, when Glenn Karen was there, he kind of ran Moonlighting like making a, 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 pic, a motion picture every week. 
you know? So the schedule is exhausting. And um, yeah, it was just, and, and then, you know, when it wasn't getting the ratings, you know, when it was getting those high ratings and um, I am curious, Maddie had like um, 60, 60, 60 million viewers. Right. Um, and that's huge. Right. When you compare like Sunday night football gets like 18 million viewers, which is, you know, um, the, you know, one of the mm-hmm. highest, um, the highest viewed uh, weekly um, events in the States right now. So 60 or 65 million viewers the night that I am curious, Maddie. So when the network would complain about the cost, Glenn Karen would say, yes, but you can run it two or three times and you'll always get high numbers and they would. But when they didn't, ABC didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to pony up that money. The way you're describing it kind of reminds me of a show that I, if I could, if I could do a podcast about one TV show, it would be the West Wing. Thank you. And it sounds, yep. I see, I hear so many parallels mm. in what you're saying between Moonlighting and West Wing. I mean, when Aaron Sorkin left Absolutely. West Wing, it, it it was. It never really. I, I never really thought it got bad, but it just wasn't as good. Um, yeah, and- you can tell the writing. He he left at the end of season four, so the, for the next three years, yeah, um, it was. There were still really good episodes, but you could tell it was just. It wasn't Aaron Sorkin's writing. Yeah, there and there were some episodes that Sorkin would never have been a part of. <laughs> that, Absolutely that when not. I, when Absolutely. I go back and I watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm not. Any any episode where CJ's talking to her dad by a letter or when she's going to her high school reunion, I'm just like, up oh, skipping that one, just going to the next one. Mm. <laughs> but uh I'm curious, yeah. your 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 fondness for Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd, did it did it stay with them as as the show ended? Did you become a fan of Bruce Willis's movies? In a, were you have you followed his career? Yes, uh absolutely. I always loved Bruce Willis. Um, I would say up until the maybe early 2000s, I always followed his movie career. And then, you know, it just, uh, you know, it went in a different direction, like <laughs> a lot of things, right? Um, Sybil, yeah, I've always had a fondness for Sybil too. I love Sybil, you know, I always watch everything she, you know, she was recently in a Lifetime movie. I watched it, you know, if it's Sybil and Bruce, I will watch it. Have I seen every single, you know, Bruce Willis movie? No. Grace, have you stayed a fan of, of Bruce's over the years? Oh, all the time. Yeah, I, I constantly followed him. And I'm the same as Shauna. I can't say that I've watched every movie. Nobody um, can. But, <laughs> yeah, I love can. Armageddon. I love The Sixth Sense. Oh, God. Arm- yeah, fabulous. I, um, I, it's nice to meet someone who likes Armageddon because I, I love that. Armageddon. <laughs> I've got to, I could watch that over and over. I just love him in that. For people who want to listen to your podcast, what's the, what's the easiest way for them to find it? So uh, the way you can uh, listen to the podcast is you can go to, if if you've got Instagram, go to the Moonlighting the Podcast Instagram account and there will be a link there to all our socials, website, all that sort of thing. Um, it's just linktree slash moonpod. Um, or you can go to our website, moonlightingthepodcast.com, and you can listen to the episodes there as well. I've put some podcast players for each episode and a description of each episode as well. If you could have uh, one person involved with the show, who would be your dream guest to have on the podcast? It was always my dream to have Bruce and Sybil reunite on the podcast. That would be the dream, you know, (laughs) but uh, that's not going to happen. I mean, we want Sybil Shepard. You want, you want the star, you know? So, yep. Um, Hopefully she will come on. What would be your million dollar? What would be your million dollar question for her? What's the one burning question? You know, she, she talked in her book about how um, her and Bruce in real life had a little um, 
dalliance. You know, they had a little thing, a little thing at her house. They never slept together, but it was leading that way. Um, I, I'm never quite sure like where in the life in the series that happened. Um, I think it was maybe during the first season, maybe second. She says after a very sexy scene, she asked him when they were gonna, if they were going to do something about this in real life. And he came over to her house that night. So I would love mm-hmm. to know what, what's that sexy scene that happened? <laughs> because the dream, the dream sequence is really where we get the first, you know, sexy, really sexy scene between them. But um, so I don't know if it was, you know, but the dream sequence is only um, season two, episode four. So it's not that far into the series. So it could be around there. So, yeah, I, vote, I mean, it's yeah, it's not it's kind of moonlighting adjacent. But that's kind of my question for Sybil. It's a good question. Great. So what's your, what's your million dollar question that you want, you would ask any guest that you could have on the show? You know what? There's, there's a lot of guests that I would, that I would love to have on the show that were a big part of Moonlighting, but unfortunately they're no longer with us. Um, you know, like Robert Turteries with the costume design. I would love to know why he chose a particular design for a particular episode. Um, Jerry Finneman, he would have been wonderful to interview with regards to lighting Sybil. Um, yes. He was an old style uh, cinematographer and he lit Sybil like, uh, you know, the old leading ladies. And, uh, you know, I'd, I just, I would just love to, I know I'm not pinpointing anybody, but I just, I would just love to interview some of the directors. I would like to know what their point of view was with regards to production and how Sybil and Bruce interacted on on the set because you get conflicting stories that oh they hated each other they loved each other you know and then you know we at one stage they weren't talking to each other so what do you do you do you have to do all these single shots so steve i can't pinpoint it there are so many people that we want there's so many questions that we have and as we go along through the podcast i've got a i've got a list here that i've when i think of something uh, and even, even while we're talking on the podcast, we think, oh, we've got to ask Glenn that. So <laughs> I've got a list here for all different people because I know mm-hmm. I'll forget. Uh, Shauna and Grace, this has been wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad that you're repping Moonlighting uh, 40 years later. It's, it's it's such a blessing that Hulu brought it back. And I'm glad you I got you on the show to make a case for why people who listen to my show and who love the 80s need to give the show uh, another shot. Oh, yes. that's that's great. Oh, you know what? I love that you're doing a podcast on the 80s because there's eight, the 80s was a great decade. <laughs> there was so much going on and Moonlighting was one of them. There they are, Grace and Shauna from Moonlighting the Podcast. Listen to it. It's a, it's a, it's a good podcast. I I've really oh, I'm gonna have to. I, I I definitely uh, I want to totally looking forward to getting a copy of their book. It was published in November, and you can find it online at Amazon.com and other online book retailers. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our conversations with Glenn Karen and the and the and the hosts of Moonlighting the podcast. Definitely check out Moonlighting on Hulu. I I hope it's there for a long long time. Enjoy the shows while you can, uh, because Chuck and I will be right here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Tonight.